We're in Ephesians 5, verse 15. Ephesians 5, 15 through verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. As you find the book of Ephesians, uh, please stand with me. We're going to read verse 15 through verse 21 and then pray together. So let's stand together and read through our text. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this morning that we would come to, to understand the work of the Holy Spirit more in our lives, that you would empty us, that you would empower us, that you would fill us with your Spirit. So Lord, we surrender our time to you. We pray that you give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. In our home, when we get out uh, the dominoes, it's usually not to play dominoes, but to line up the dominoes and try to get as many lined up to cause then the cascading effect, right? And if you can, uh, get one to fall into the other and then, then to the other and then, whoo, it's so, so exciting. And that's how I see the book of Ephesians. It's so important for us to first understand who we are in Christ, if you miss the first part of this study, chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's paramount because it starts not with our practice as a believer, but our position as a believer. The moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, you are in Christ, and we were told that we were seated with Christ in the heavenlies in chapter 2 because as we get into this section of chapter 5 and the rest of the book of Ephesians, it's really going to talk about who we are to be in marriage, who we are to be as a parent, how we're to treat our, our parents, who we're to be at work and, and spiritual warfare. But if we don't understand who we are in Christ and the grace that we've received, it's really behavior modification. So the first domino is who you are in Christ and that you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And there's three primary words that rock, unlock the book of Ephesians. The first is sit. We have to first learn our position in Christ. And then the second is walk. If you'd go back to chapter 4, verse 1, we see this change in the book of Ephesians. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. So we're challenged to walk. We're challenged to take the same grace that we've received and apply it to our living, the way that we live our lives. Last week at Easter celebration, we talked about the gospel and the gospel hasn't departed from our lives. We can apply it in the way that we live. And a quick review, if you remember in chapter 4, we were encouraged to walk in unity. This grace being expressed to each other to walk in unity. But then also to walk in maturity. We've all been given different gifts and to use our gifts to edify the body of Christ. And then to walk in transparency and to walk in the light. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Ephesians, but three weeks ago we talked about sexual integrity, sexual purity, walking 
in that light that God has for us. Now when we get into the section we're gonna study this morning, I think that it's the most important in the second half of the book of Ephesians because it's the life of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit. So the first is, the first domino is who you are in Christ. The second domino is being empowered by the Spirit. And then that falls to the other dominoes of marriage, family, work, and spiritual uh, warfare. When I grew up, I grew up in a bowling family. My grandparents, my grandma and grandpa Warren, they loved to bowl. My mom's the youngest of five. So by the time I came along, my grandparents were, were old, even, even elderly, but they still loved to bowl. And I had memories of them with their bowling bag, like this in one hand, like this in the other, getting to, to the, the, the bowling alley. So of course my mom uh, loves uh, to bowl. So family night was, we would all go to the bowling alley and I hate bowling. And the reason that I hate bowling is I would always lose, you know? It's no fun to lose to your mom in bowling, right? You throw a gutter ball, lose to, to my older brother in bowling. And we're competitive as a family. We like to, to compete. So if I can't win, I'm not enjoying uh, myself. And sometimes I think we view the Christian life kind of like bowling. I've tried and I've failed. I've tried and I've failed, so I don't want to try anymore, there's some of you that are going, okay, now we're going to get into to marriage next week. I think I'll take next week off. I've, I've heard enough messages about marriage. I've tried to be a godly spouse, and I continue to throw gutter balls. We're going to talk about parenting. I, I don't want to talk about parenting. I've, I've heard enough uh, uh, about parenting, and I know that I stink as a parent, and I, and I fail as a parent. I throw gutter balls. This challenge of last week of sexual integrity, I continue to struggle in, in that area. I'm, I'm throwing gutter balls. In church, we have to hear this section to be filled with, with the Holy Spirit. How many messages have you heard about marriage that don't include your position in Christ, the grace that you've received in Christ, they don't include the power of the Holy Spirit, and they simply give you your roles and responsibilities as a husband and wife. We're failing to see that it's not our power. It's the power of, of the Holy Spirit. So this is the linchpin to the rest of the book of Ephesians. We're going to come back to this paragraph of being filled with the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit of God that enables us to fulfill the rest of the book of Ephesians. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word see is an imperative verb in the Greek, which means that it's an action. God's wanting us to do something here. The action is to walk circumspectly. This means to live carefully. Some have translated this verse to see very carefully how you live. God wants us to be aware of the decisions that we're making, walk circumspectly, live carefully to be wise and not to be fools. Why would we have to live carefully? What, what are we watching for? What, why are we being circumspect? Well, we're being aware of our own sinful flesh, aren't we? So easy to choose sin and have there be grave consequences. Until we go home to be with the Lord, we're going to struggle with our sinful flesh. There's many things that I'm looking forward to about heaven. One of them is to no longer struggle with sin, to wake up in God's likeness. But until that happens, we need to understand no matter how long we've walked with the Lord, we're still going to wake up 
and have temptation. We're still going to be selfish. We're still going to be prideful. So we need to be aware of sin. But we also need to walk circumspectly because there's a real enemy that wants to destroy us. Satan doesn't want you at church this morning. Satan doesn't want you to hear about the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to attack in a a great way. And so we need to be aware of the enemy. But it's not just of being careful to make sure we don't do the wrong thing, but it's also to be careful that we do the right thing. Amen? There's instructions in the words of things not to do, but there's also glorious commands of the things that God wants us to do. And this emphasis on being a person who is wise instead of a person who is foolish. God has dedicated a whole book of the Bible to wisdom, the book of Proverbs. We're told there in Proverbs that wisdom is a very precious gem, even more than rubies. If you were to choose wisdom or some monetary value, God would say, say, choose wisdom. So we want to walk carefully. We want to live circumspectly. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We need to buy back the time. This word redeeming means to make the most of time because the days are evil. Doesn't time fly? And we are so busy. We're busy, 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 busy people, aren't we? I don't even know if I have time to finish this message. And you're probably struggling to go, I don't know if I have time to come to church this morning. I've got all of these things that I I need to do. We're wrestling in the back of our minds what the rest of the day has for us, right? I've got to get all of these things done this, this, this weekend. If you're not sure if we're busy or not in our culture, just go to a busy intersection. Academy and Austin Bluffs will do as you leave church. Wait for the light to turn green and go nowhere and see what happens. You are going to have some horns that are honking, right? Because everybody's busy. Everybody's in a hurry. We got places to go. But I'm not sure in our busyness that we're redeeming the time. I'm not sure in our busyness that we're making the most of the time. I'm not sure that we're wise. We could be foolish. Try to imagine with me the end of your life. Maybe God allows you to live a nice, long, full life. And you have a gradual deathbed type of experience and you're reflecting upon your life. What's going to matter? What's, what's really important in that, in that moment? Moses prayed and said, so Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses wanted to do the math and calculate how much time do I really have Because if I number my days, I'm going to to gain a heart of wisdom. What would be important on that deathbed? I'm sure a relationship with the Lord. I think relationship with our families becomes of the the utmost importance as well. Everything we're really going to read in the rest of the book of Ephesians with marriage and, and family, those are the things that are important to us. In our work life, glorifying God, not so much what we did for work, but how we did our work. Did we do our work unto the Lord? What's brutal about time is once it's gone, it's gone, isn't it? Once you spend it, it's gone. So it, it vanishes. The grave is brutal. When someone passes away, their time on this earth is over. You can't have time with them again. And that's what breaks our hearts so severely. And we 
anticipate that we may live a nice, full, long life, but it could be that we've got six more months to live. We might have six weeks. We might have six years. Someone that's very close to us or even a distant co-worker, we may think they've got a lot of years to live, but they may not, right? How would it change the way that I treated people around me if I didn't take for granted time? And I said, this time is a gift. I want to redeem the time. I want to make the most of the time. God tells us the reason to make the most of the time is because the days are evil, which is an interesting cause. What God is saying is you've got mission, you've got job to do. The prior paragraph in Ephesians 5 was that you are light. The world needs light. And so don't waste time because the days are evil. God wants to use our lives to shine his love to a lost and dying world. Redeem the time. Verse 17 Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The second exhortation to wisdom. Wisdom is redeeming the time. Understand what the will of the Lord is. A wise person is going to understand what God's, God's will is. And we wrestle with God's will. Sometimes I hear discussions like, you know, is it God's will that I would wear a flannel today or I would wear a t-shirt today? You know, is it God's will that I would have a breakfast burrito or oatmeal for breakfast? Should I go to Chipotle or Quidoba? Which one is God's will? Definitely Chipotle in that discussion. <laughs> right? Should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Should I have this job? Should I not have this job? And we get all confused about the will of God. But God's word's pretty direct about his will. In Romans 12, it says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of God's mercy, because of his grace, his kindness, his unending love, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What does that mean? Give your life fully over to God, every part of us over to God upon his altar. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the world's mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you get into God's word, your mind's renewed, your life is transformed, and then here's this promise. You'll be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Flashback to math class. Did you ever have a math teacher that you got the right answer, but they said, you need to prove it? You need to prove it with your work and show how you got the right answers. That brings back nightmares for me. I guessed, I got lucky, isn't that good enough? I'm excited that I got the right answer. But no, they, they wanted you to be able to, to prove it and show how you got to that conclusion. And with the will of God, you'll be able to prove it. You'll be able to say, I know from God's word, this is what the Lord would have me to do. God's a lot more concerned with who we are than these trivial decisions if whether you wore a flannel or a t-shirt, Amen. And if we put worship at the forefront, a relationship with him at the forefront, we're going to know what the will of the Lord is. God also tells us what his will is. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you're thankful, you are in the will of God. But if I'm unthankful and I'm complaining, I'm not in the will of God. I've spent too many days outside of, of the will of God. Therefore, be wise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Dissipation is 
reckless living, being drunk with wine leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit of God. So we have a contrast here. God is saying, this is something I don't want you to do, and this is something that I want to do in your life. Do not be drunk with wine. What does God's word teach us about alcohol? It's actually pretty succinct. It's pretty clear. First, we see right in our text that don't get to the place of drunkenness with with wine, with alcohol, because the reason for that is the substance is controlling you, the alcohol is controlling you, instead of uh, the Holy Spirit. When someone's drunk, their personality gets altered. You can tell that someone's drunk. You can tell they've had too much to drink because they're not themselves. And different personalities respond different ways to, to being drunk. When you're drunk, you get to this place, it's alcohol is a depressant, isn't it? How good do you feel the morning after you got drunk? Not very well, do you? But the Holy Spirit, instead of taking away control, provides control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love. So very clearly with alcohol, we're not to, to be drunk. The other things to consider with alcohol is your own conscience. Some of you, as you pray this through with the Lord, you don't feel a peace about drinking. You feel the Lord's led you to not, not drink at all. You need to honor your conscience, and it's going to be different for different, different people. And also something very important is we need to make sure that we're not causing somebody else to stumble in a liberty that the Lord has given to us. So you have a brother or sister in Christ that's chosen not to drink. It would be unwise to drink in, in front of them. You have a friend where alcohol has destroyed their life and they've found victory. You know, you wouldn't want to flaunt your, your liberty before, before them. So do you think that this teaching about alcohol could have to do with other substances as well? Absolutely. Any substance that you put into your body that's going to alter the ability for the Holy Spirit to lead our lives is something that God doesn't want and God doesn't desire. And so whether it's alcohol or it's a substance, once that takes control of our lives, we're missing out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. As this flows right into the family of marriage and and children and work, how many marriages have been destroyed because of alcohol, because of drunkenness? I can't tell you how many times as a pastor sitting down and talking with people that express the pain of drunkenness and what it's done to their marriage and their kids. Talking with adults that grew up with a father or a mother that was an alcoholic and said, when dad would get drunk, he would beat us. He would beat mom. And those, those images are, are very real. How much healthier would families be if there wasn't the abuse of drugs and there, there wasn't the abuse of, of alcohol? I hope you know this. Just because something legal is legal, it doesn't mean that it's biblical. Right? If you are looking to the laws of the United States of America to define how you should live your life, you have missed it. Amen? Right? We have a relationship with God, the living God. We have his word. And we respect the laws of the land. But just because our country, our state, says something is legal, says some substance is legal, you know, it's, it's legal to do this, it's legal to do that. We have to look to God's word and say, I want to form my view off of, of God's word. So it's true about alcohol, it's true about other substances, but I think it doesn't stop there because 
We, in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's things that need to be emptied out of our lives, out of our hearts. Pride could be preventing the Spirit to work through my life the way that God would intend. God's saying, I want to fill you with, your, with the Spirit, but you're too full of yourself. This anger, this bitterness, this resentment that you're unwilling to let go is keeping you from being filled with the Spirit. This anger, this, this lust, we, we get the idea. A few years ago, I went to a pastor's conference and they gave us Nalgene bottles as a gift for the conference. And that's, Nalgene bottle goes with me everywhere I go now for the last three years as we live in this dry climate. The bottle can only hold 32 ounces, right? And our lives can only hold so much. And if we're filled with alcohol, we're filled with some substance, that's what's controlling our lives, we're filled with anger or pride, that's going to prevent the Spirit of God coming and filling us. So we need to be emptied. How do we get emptied? By acknowledging those things and turning away, confessing to the Lord, confessing to the others, asking for prayer, and asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, sometimes we get nervous when we start to study the Holy Spirit because we are confused about the Holy Spirit or maybe you've had a bad experience from a church when it comes to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're going to lose control and start barking like a dog and rolling down the aisles. Some of you may be saying, you know, I I don't know if that's for me because I don't want to start barking like a dog. No, the the fruit of the Spirit is going to result in self-control in your lives. So let's pause here and talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. First is, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. The Trinity is three distinct persons, but yet one God. We know that the Holy Spirit is God because the story with Ananias and Sapphira, the text says that they lied to the Holy Spirit and also that they lied to God clearly showing that the Holy Spirit is God. It was referring to the Holy Spirit as God. So the Holy Spirit's God. What's the role or job of the Holy Spirit inside of of the Trinity? Well, the Holy Spirit does a variety of things. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and points us to Jesus Christ. The reality of a person getting saved is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Also, Jesus Right before he was crucified, he's talking with the disciples in the upper room, and he says, guys, it's to your benefit that I go away. That's quite a statement. It's going to be better for you that I'm gone. And the reason is, is the Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus was external. As great as it was to have Christ right there with him, the Holy Spirit was going to be in them, and that was going to be far better for the disciples. And Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit's going to be a comforter and a helper and a teacher. Do you need a teacher? I do. Do I need a comforter? Yes. Do you need a helper? Why would we not want the filling of the Holy Spirit? Why would we not want the work of the Spirit in our lives? The Spirit leads us and guides us into truth, comforts us. This word helper means to to come alongside and help. And church, this is where I think we've really missed it. We, we've got into this next section with husbands and wives, and it's so important. And we're praying that God does a work in our marriages and, and in our families, but we do it apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that wants to, to lead us. We attempt to live in, in sexual integrity apart from, from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the teacher. The Holy Spirit's the comforter. 
The Holy Spirit is, is the guide. We're also told with the, the Holy Spirit that we can quench the Holy Spirit in our actions, in our, in, in our lives. We can quench the, the Holy Spirit. We can also grieve the Holy Spirit. So then the next question is, how do I get filled with the Spirit? If this is so important, how do I have a life uh, in the Spirit? Jesus told us that we're evil. <laughs> Don't you like how he just called it straight? He looks at us and says, you guys are evil, and you know how to give good gifts to your kids. Even being evil, we like to bless our kids. And he goes on to say, how much more so will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In one gospel, we have give gifts to those who ask. In another gospel, specifically, it says the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to ask. We need to ask. You know, God's not going to fill us with the Spirit if we don't see our need for the Spirit. And a lot of times, that's our difficulty. We go, oh man, I can love my wife as Christ loves the church. You know, I, I can live in sexual integrity. I, I'm, I'm pumped up on the truth of God. I, I can do this. And God's saying, no, you can't. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then also, to be filled with the Spirit, I think there has to be a willingness to obey what the Spirit says. A lot of times in my life, I think I'm not experiencing the work of the Spirit, the move of the Spirit, because if I'm honest, I'm not surrendering to the Spirit. It's Team Eric. I want to call the shots. I want to control my day. This is what I've got planned for the day. Holy Spirit, have you seen my eye calendar? This is how it's supposed to go today, right? And to really be able to, to lay those things down. I've got ideas of what I think I need to do as a husband, what I need to do as a dad. Lord, Lord this, I've got this figured out, and I'm not willing to, to obey. And I think that it involves a, a brokenness in us and a surrender of control to be able to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time experience. If you study this verse closely, it's telling us to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a lifestyle. This is a reality of, of going through our days, waking up in the morning and saying, God, would you empty me of things that don't glorify you? And would you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? I'm ready to follow the Spirit. I'm ready to walk in, in the Spirit. And then we begin to experience the filling of God's spirit in our lives. We look at verse 19, and this is the result of being filled uh, with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. When we encounter the Holy Spirit, there's an overflow type effect. In John 4, in John 7, Jesus said that he's living water and he's going to make us a fountain of living water. The Holy Spirit just begin to flow through our lives. And one of the ways that this is expressed is through singing to the Lord. There's going to be spiritual communication coming out of our mouths. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Please this morning make the filling of the Holy Spirit simple. And say, okay, it's going to overflow in me having a song to sing to the Lord. Maybe you've missed this somewhere along the line in your journey with the Lord. But God actually commands us to sing. He commands us to sing in the Psalms. And some of us may say, well, you know, I, I don't sing. I just don't do that. that, that that's not for me. 
My heart's singing, but my mouth is not moving, right? And one of the things that I've really enjoyed God doing in our church the last couple of years is there's been a shift, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but as a congregation, we have changed from observing worship to participating in worship. For a long time at Rocky Mountain Calvary, our culture was basically to come in and watch the worship team. And I think in our hearts, we were worshiping. You know, but man, they're talented, they're, they're gifted. You know, wow, this, this is fun to listen to. And we would watch. But something has changed where we are now singing. You can hear the congregation singing to the Lord. You're coming in with the mindset of I get to participate. I get to, to sing to the Lord. And that's so important in our relationship with God. If you've never attempted singing to the Lord, or maybe it's been a while since you have sung to the Lord, or it's not just your thing, it's try it. God doesn't care what you sound like. He says, make a joyful noise. So you may have a great singing voice, or you may have a terrible singing voice. Who cares, right? Open your mouth and sing to the Lord. Try it here in church. Try it in a few minutes as we sing the last song. They say, God is good to me. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. I'm going to sing to the Lord. The shower is a great place to sing to the Lord, right? Your vehicle is a great place to sing to the Lord. Sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let that song that's in your heart come out in singing. I love it in our family. Is it when I hear my wife sing to the Lord around the house, when I see one, hear one of my kids sing to the Lord around the house, this is a great atmosphere for marriage. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a husband and wife was just so in love with Jesus that they were singing to the Lord, that they were grateful for who the Lord is in their lives? In verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts. I already read that, verse 20 giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So singing, but also giving thanks. We want to be careful to give thanks to the Lord. What does a spirit-filled life look like? What does a life in the spirit look like? It's giving thanks to the Lord. Giving thanks is very healthy for your soul. Write down Romans chapter 1, study it more, read it more later today but it shows the digression of the God-given human soul. And part of it is they knew God, but they were not thankful to God. We don't understand how damaging it is to our being and our relationship with the Lord when we go throughout our days grumbling and complaining. Part of living carefully, walking circumspectly, is giving attention to being thankful. God, this is who you are, and I'm thankful for that. This is what you've provided. I am thankful for this. The big and the small, to give thanks to the Lord. Our last verse this morning, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is yielding to one another in the fear of God. Apart from the spirit, we tend to want to dominate each other. But when the spirit of God gets a hold of our lives, we're willing to yield to each other. And this is going to flow right into the discussion of marriage. So if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to be talking about a decision that's not necessarily a biblical decision, and you have very differing opinions, and you find yourself saying, hey, I'm willing to yield. Why? Because the Spirit of God is is filling you. You're not dominating, but you're serving. Turn with me quickly to Zechariah chapter 4, 
And it's where we're going to end this morning as we look at the life of the Spirit. Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. It's right after Haggai. Like that helps a lot, right? (laughs) Zechariah 4 verse 1. Just before the book of Malachi. So if you find the book of Matthew, go a little bit more to your left. You come to Zechariah 4. And I want to read verses 1 through 9. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other at its left. The lampstands in the temple needed to be filled with oil. But what we find different here is a continuous supply. That's what's unique about this. These pipes going to these lamps to keep them continually lit. The lampstands ultimately point to the church, that we are the light. Verse 4, so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, specific to Zerubbabel, applicable to us as well, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth a capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, his hand shall also finish it. Zerubbabel's been given the task to rebuild the temple. He's discouraged. It seems like a mountain that he's never going to get over. And God says, it's not going to be by your power. It's not going to be by your might. It's going to be by my spirit. The spirit is going to be a continuous flow. And your hands that started this task are going to finish it. Church, do you feel like there's this mountain in front of you? There's this mountain in your marriage. There's this mountain in your singleness. There's this mountain in your kids' lives, in your work, right? And honestly, maybe your attitude has been, my attitude has been one of, I'm going to punt. I'm done trying. I've tried, and I throw gutter balls. I don't want to try anymore. I don't want to keep throwing gutter balls. And God's word is, it's going to be a work of grace that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. For us to cry out to the Lord and say, God, I'm ready to be emptied. I'm asking that you would fill me and I'm ready to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to do more than we ever could do. Could do more than any book on marriage, as good as those are. Any class on parenting, as worthwhile as those are. Because you're going to find the Spirit of God is going to start speaking to you. Husbands, he's going to start directing you specifically of how to minister to your wife. Wives, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. It's going to speak to us on how to honor our parents and how to love our children. And it goes back to that truth of sometimes I don't think we want to hear it. We don't want to hear what the Holy Spirit is going to say about our lives. We still want control. We're really not ready to change. 
On Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches. And to each church, Jesus writes and says, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The message is, the Spirit is communicating, but am I listening? So as we pray and we close and we head into worship, if you're at that place of saying, you know what? I've tried and I've failed and I've tried and I've failed. I'm ready to be emptied. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I would encourage you, the ministry team, the pastors, we're going to be available here in the front. You don't need to go into details. But that step of faith to say, I'm ready to be emptied. I need to be filled with the Spirit. To really right where you're at, you know, to cry out to the Lord. Allow God to do business in your hearts. As we had service last night, I knew there was things in my heart that need to be emptied. As we sang this last song, I was like, this, this stuff needs to be let go. If I'm going to experience the filling of the Spirit. So let's take that time to, to wait upon the Lord. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit and that you're willing to fill us with the Holy Spirit if we ask. We don't want this to simply be a Bible study, but we do desire that it would penetrate our hearts and lives, that even now, that you would empty us and that you would fill us and that this would become a lifestyle, a lifestyle of being filled by your Spirit, of walking in the Spirit. So we wait upon you and we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.